Hey, we are going somewhere this morning. I'm excited because we are finishing, finishing, finishing the series on Money Talks. So, um, man, I thought there'd be a lot more amens on that one. I know this has been a little bit of a rough series, but I think it's good. We need to be taught the word about good money management. I hope it's been good about stewarding well and managing well with what God's given us. Today, I want to talk to you about the gift of generosity. Now, when we are generous, there's something that happens on the inside. Amen? When I was a teenager, my father took me up to Big Bear, and he taught me how to build a fire when we'd go camping. And so when we went up there, I just remember that uh, he taught me how to crisscross the um, pieces of wood. And then, of course, the fire would start and it would, um, you know, become warm and the light and everything that we needed. But then I noticed when the morning came, there were some embers as the fire obviously was out. There were some embers in the bottom that were still glowing. And then I remember as my father came by, he stirred up the embers and it would once again relate. And I just, I just thought about that this morning. I want us to stir something up within us. I, I, maybe you feel like, gosh, you know, the fire's just not there for God. I want to get there. I want to be passionate for God. I want to just totally devote to him. But it just feels like there's something kind of the fire's gone out. It's kind of empty. And I just, I just want to say this. You are in the perfect place. I, we together are in the perfect place for God to stoke the fire, to stir something up within us so that we can be red hot for God. You with me? In John chapter 12, something breaks through in the supernatural. Um, but before we get to that John chapter 12, I just wanna give a backstory of what happened in a little town of Bethany where Jesus would often retreat to during his three years of ministering on earth, the way that he served people and loved people and miracles and teaching and listening to people and compassion and mercy and all those things that he is, crowds would just constantly bombard Jesus. So the little town of Bethany, um, I liken it to back in the day when Mission Viejo was established as a town. It wasn't even a city where there were kind of rolling hills and there were sheep and goat and cattle everywhere. And it was one, I think before I even moved here, there was one dirt road off Geronimo. It was just kind of a quaint, quiet place. And that's where Jesus was invited in wasn't so much the town, it was the people in the town that invited him to stay in their home. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, sisters and brother. They loved Jesus. They loved to hear him teach. But even more so than that, it was something about being around him. So they invited him. Jesus, when you're in town, stay with us. No pressure. We'll fill your glass of lemonade. We'll give you everything you need to eat. But Lord, we just want you to have a place to relax and to rest. And it was through that that a friendship began to form between all of them. Of course, Jesus loved everyone. But there was a dynamic there between the three of them and Jesus that was unique. Well, Lazarus had taken ill on Jesus' way back to Jerusalem. It took two days to get there. And so halfway there, Mary and Martha are distraught because they knew that Jesus was the miracle worker. Jesus, if you just could have been here, you could have saved our brother. You, you, could, have, you could have done something. Ever been there with God? 
God, if you, or if we, why weren't you? Why didn't you? And I just love God's response in this moment as they catch up with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He stops everything he's doing. He turns around and he goes back to the town of Bethany. When he got there, out of his compassion and love, of course, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days now. Jesus stands before the tomb and he calls Lazarus from the dead. I mean, what a moment. As Jesus calls his name specifically. Some commentators believe that if Jesus didn't say Lazarus, all the dead would have come forward because of Jesus' power and his miraculous, right, who he is. There's just power in that name. And as he calls forth Lazarus out of the tomb, Lazarus is alive. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems kind of far removed because I've never seen anyone who was once dead and now alive. But I believe in God. I believe that Jesus can do that. And I believe for a specific time there was an anointing on that moment so that everybody would know who Jesus was. Very specific very pointed in that moment. Now, if I was in that town or if I was in the next town or the third town over, I would have been there. Lazarus, are you really alive? I would have wanted to see that. Are are you with me? And so now we're gonna go to a dinner party that this is six days before the Passover feast, which is very important for us to know as Jesus is getting ready to, to be crucified on the cross so that we would have eternal life. There is a dinner party thrown in Jesus and Lazarus's honor. And it's in this moment, I just got to say, I would have been there. I believe this place was packed. I believe there were lots of people from all around. People wanted to see, people wanted to know, is it really true? Is it really true that Lazarus is alive? Now, as well as good-hearted and seekers would have been there, there were also some religious people that showed up. There are two hearts here around the table where Jesus was invited. There is a generous, loving, giving heart. But then there is a selfish heart, which we're going to read about in a moment. Oh, how could I forget? In the middle of the dinner party, a woman walks in. It's Mary. She's carrying an alabaster jar of perfume. She walks into the room. She kneels before Jesus. And she anoints his feet. She anoints his head with this perfume. Now, the text tells us, we're going to read in just a moment, that that perfume was worth one year's wages. One year's of salary. And she doesn't hesitate. She doesn't think about it. Is this logical? Should I do this? What will happen if I waste this? She just generous, generously pours out, signifying that I am in total devotion to you, Jesus. And the least I can do is give you my very best. This is extravagant giving. This is extravagant generosity. This is where I want our heart to continue to be at MVCC. That we don't just give because we love God, but we are extravagant and we don't think about so much and we just trust God I love you for what you've done in my life. You have done so many good things. How could I hold anything back? I think that's why Mary was willing to give all of the perfume that she had been saving up. And in that culture, this is a very prominent thing because she loved him. You brought my brother back from death to life. You have 
You have restored our lives, Jesus. You have changed me from the inside out. You have given me a hope and a reason to live. Just the very fact, God, that you love me where I am, not as I should be, not as I ought to be. I am forever devoted to you. And this anointing, God, is solely for you. Let's read the text now in John chapter 12. So six days before the Passover celebration began. Jesus arrives in Bethany. This is obviously the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. And a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was a worth, worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And so Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And so when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. Can you imagine? The, the, the religious people were wanting to kill Lazarus. Why in the world would they want to do that? Because I think they were so jealous of Jesus because of the crowds that were following him. People were enamored with him, and so they wanted to do away with everything that Jesus did. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. I think when John wrote this text, he remembered what it smelled like in that room. I've always heard it said that when we read the Bible, when we read God's word, we want to read with all of our senses. What did it feel like in the room? What was the smell like? What was the conversation like? What were people talking about? What was happening? Of course, as we see two intentions here, one is completely selfless, the other is completely selfish. Judas had no intention of giving to the poor, did he? He was a thief. Why was he a thief? He was pocketing the money. He was pilfering from the top in charge of taking care of the money that was offered to Jesus while he traveled for three years with the disciples, which is amazing to me. Jesus knew all along this was going to happen. But because God has a sovereign plan, God isn't unrested about this. He's not freaking out about this. God isn't worried up in heaven because Judas is taking money. Jesus understands, and his plan is obviously still in place. Now, would anyone... Of course, we have offering boxes here every week. Um, but we, you know, we encourage everybody to give online um, our offerings and tithes to God, which we'll get to in just a second. But would anybody imagine, would you just imagine anybody walking over to one of these boxes, turning it upside down, breaking the bottom out, and taking all the money out? Nobody would do that, right? Right? But I have a bigger question. Would any of us hold back on what belongs 
to him. Leave her alone. There are three kinds of giving. I want to shift now. There are three kinds of giving in the Bible. And the reason I want to mention this is because God gives us a blessing when we give back to him and the needs that are around us. Would you agree? Number one is there's what's called in the Bible 10% giving. That's a tithe. Then secondly, there are what's called offerings. And then third, there's an extravagant offering. King David gave an extravagant offering in the Old Testament when he gave a gift to God for the future temple that was to be built. The widow gave extravagantly two pennies as Jesus was watching, as all the religious people were pouring all their coins into the receptacles. She dropped two pennies out of everything that she had. That was extravagant offering. Mary gave one year's wage of perfume. That was extravagant, over the top, just totally from the heart. And it's really not, as I just get into this, it's not about the amount. I I just genuinely want to say once again through the series as we're winding this thing down, I don't want something from you. I don't want you, well, we got to give more money to the church. I guess we should write another check. We should give another offering. It's not about that. It's about the heart. It's not about money for the church. It's about us engaging with God and so responding to his goodness. Lord, I don't want to hold anything. Everything, God, is yours that I have. I recognize that. So out of this text, I see two things that are so plain. Number one is generosity comes from a flow of a grateful heart. Mary was absolutely so grateful. God, you raised my brother from the dead. You changed our lives. You have forever made an imprint and we will never forget you. This is the least that I could do is offer because I'm so grateful to God. I guess I have a question for, are we truly grateful for Jesus? When we come into a place like this every Sunday and we have opportunity to sing, and I know singing, especially maybe for some of us guys, if I could just be real, it doesn't seem very manly. But can I say this, that the Bible says to sing praises to his name. The the Bible says to sing a new song to the Lord. The Bible encourages us even in the Old Testament to use instruments to give him thanks and praise. Why would we do that in a place like this? I know maybe it's uncomfortable for some of us, but I call it the OC stare. Where we stand with our hands in our pockets and we watch what's happening here. We think, oh, kind of cool. We might maybe just go like this. Maybe we'll, you know. But here's my question. If Jesus has really changed us, if he's really made a difference in our life, are we grateful for him? And the, what, what we do is we offer back to him our praise, our thanks. God, I'm so grateful. I want to sing these songs. I want to tap my feet. I want to clap my hands. I want to raise my hands. I want to be in a place maybe of quiet reflection, God, because I just want you to know on bended knee, Lord, how much I love you, God. I'm so grateful for who you are and what you've done. This is Mary's heart. I envisioned the church, our place, our community, our family. And it's not about emotional high. It's not about doing something just because I'm supposed to do it. I'm just talking about down in the engine room where we live, where things really matter. Lord, am I willing to worship you, God? And part of our worship is giving back to him financially. Really? Yeah. Where your heart is, there will, or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, The way I look at it is, I don't argue with God. I don't fight with God. It's all yours. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for him. So understanding that I want to manage well, and now today we're talking about how can I be more generous, God, with what you've given us. 
not only is it a grateful heart, but it's a thankful heart. Anybody here wrestle with thankfulness? Sometimes I focus so on what I don't have, I forget what I do have. And God is, he's imploring us. He's urging us today from the scripture. I want you to be thankful. And this woman that has Mary, who has anointed me, her story will be shared all over where the gospel is preached all over the world. Why? Because her heart was so engaged. She was so thankful to Jesus for what he had done. In 2 Corinthians 8, 5, to a city that was in all kinds of trouble, the church even was in trouble. The church wasn't on point in Corinth, but Paul, the author of this letter, never stopped. He never stopped writing. He never stopped praying for these people. He loved them. And this is what he said. They even do more, meaning offerings and givings, than we had hoped. For their first action was to give, watch this, themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So let's start with a three-part teaching here, just really quick. I I want us to understand the word. I want us to know the word. So again, I just want to say out of the get-go, there's no pressure to do this. I don't want you to do anything that the Lord isn't prompting you to do from here. I don't want us to just be religious people that just do things because we have to do them. Man, I want it to come down deep from the heart. Fair enough? So number one is, what does God say about giving? about generosity. Should we just, you know, 10 bucks a week? Should we give, you know, $20? Should we give a dollar? What, what should we do? What's, God, what do you want? And God says, number one, that I want you to give me your very, very best. Now, this is really cool. I love this because in Malachi chapter three, we're gonna read this text, six through 10. You might be familiar with this verse. This is in preparation for as the temple is now built by King Solomon, David's son, that they are now having a place to worship. But it's not so much about the place as much as their hearts. Israel had drifted away from the things of God. Their heart was not completely engaged. And that's why these verses right here in Malachi 3, verses 6 through 10, are written because he wants the people's hearts. It's not about money. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. But God was very specific in the Old Testament of what they want what he wanted them to do. So he says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Aren't we glad for that? God never changes, he's always the same. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. God says, you're still here. You're still here, right? You're still breathing. I don't change. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now, read, now watch what God says. You have left my ways. You, Israel is always falling back, moving forward, falling back, moving forward. Sometimes just like us, we waver, right? Sometimes we're not as always as committed as we want to be, but God never leaves us. He never changes. He will never leave us, right? Now return to me. Just return to me. It's not complicated. You don't have to do 10,000 things. Just return your heart to me. Maybe you feel like this morning those embers are glowing and God wants you to stir something up to bring about the fire once again. Now return to me and I, God says, will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Some Bible versions say, rob God. Yet you have cheated me, or some versions, as I said, in NIV says, you robbed me. But you ask, what do you mean? How do we rob God? How do I steal from God? How am I cheating God? I love God. This is what he says. You have cheated me out of the tithes and offerings do to me. I'll explain this in just a second. Old Testament stuff. You are under now a curse because you have not obeyed me. There is a curse. This is Old Testament. 
not now, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, meaning one place where God, this is my home. This is my family. This is where I've planted roots. This is my church. This is where I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so you'll be, uh, there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of armies, heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for, for who? For who? Right, for us. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. God is saying, I dare you to obey me. Put me to the test. People gave 10% in the Old Testament for the work of God, right? The storehouse, they would come in and bring it to the Levites, to the priests, and they would set up the temple and they would have a place, good, nice, excellent place for people to come in and worship. I think the church of Jesus, I think what you know, he's establishing on earth, his kingdom, I think we should do our very best. That means nice chairs. That means clear screens. That means sound that we can understand. We can be in a place where there's a facilitated atmosphere to worship him. It's not like, well, we'll just, you know, it doesn't matter if there's holes in the seats and you know, stains on the carpet. And eh, well, if there's kind of a crackling in the speaker, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. This is the best. We should bring our very best to God, right? So part of your offerings and tithes help there to be a spirit of excellence. So why? Not only that can facilitate you to worship him so that you can walk with Jesus, but what about the people that are lost that come into this place who are invited? What about people that got questions about God, about whether the stuff is really real? If there is a God, how can I get to know God? Real honest questions. We wanna be there for people that you bring that are lost. And if things are kind of broken and hanging off the hinges and marks on the walls, what is their atmosphere or what is their intention? Maybe you're gonna, oh, they don't really care about this place, so they probably don't care about me. But if things are done well and excellent, hmm, there must be something going on here. Then they gave 10% to the, of their produce. Then they gave 10% to the poor. So in the old covenant, they were about 28 to 30%. They had to give back to God. That was part of the Old Testament law. God made conditions about that. And he says, I will prosper you as a great nation. I will give you the land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. God made those promises to us of prosperity to the people in the Old Testament. But that is not a guarantee for us in the New Testament. Paul was in prison. Paul sometimes had nothing, the apostle Paul. Paul didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. So this health and wealth gospel, I don't buy it. If you give your $1,000, God will give you $10,000. Not always, not always. But what he blesses us with, so much more. If you give 10% to me, I will reverse the curse. What does that mean for us? Maybe the curse of selfishness. Maybe just living for me. When I lived for me, I was the most miserable When I lived for others, which Jesus calls us to do, I was much more happy. I felt much more fulfilled. I felt connected with God. In fact, part of my offering to God from here, not because, well, okay, I'll slam down the 10%. I guess I got to do it. God, I want to do this because I love you, Lord. He put something in my heart that was content. It was peaceful. What does God really mean you're robbing me if you're not giving me your very best? I used to read that text and think, well... We're stealing from God. That's what it says. 
But in the context, this is something new that I just saw. I didn't see it in this light before. And I wanted to share it with you. Are you ready? This is something that's revelatory to me. This is, rev- this is a, a whole new window opening up about why my wife and I give our very best to God. I know many of you do. And I don't want to ever hold back. God says, if you hold back what I have intended, first of all, for my kingdom, you are robbing me of blessing you. You get that? So I won't get the blessing of giving my very best to God if I'm holding back from him. If I just give God my leftovers, that doesn't make sense. If I give God my very best, that makes much more sense. Plus it's biblical. Say, well, tithing is a starting point. This is not mentioned to be, meant, meant to be a legalistic, we only do this. This is just a starting point. God will speak to us about what he wants. How many, got a question, how many plagues did God bring down on Egypt? You remember? 10. How many commandments are there? 10. Come on, we, we can do better than that, right? The answer to all of these are 10. So let's do this together, right? How long did Israel test God in the wilderness? 10. How many times did Jacob's wages change in the Old Testament? 10. How many days did David get testing from God? 10. How many days of testing in Revelation? 10. How many disciples were there? 12, right? Faith opens up when we do this. There's something biblical about this. I have some friends that when I moved here to Mission Viejo from Hawaii, when my wife and I moved back from Hawaii to Mission Viejo, we met them in this church. I was amazed at their devotion to God. They seem to live life in a place of peace and rest and calm on the inside. And they just always served around here. They just always loved people. They just seemed to be at ease about their walk with God. They didn't panic. They didn't fret. I didn't see them as worryful. All those things. They just loved and served God. I don't ever remember hearing one complaint out of their mouth about the church for the whole 22 years that I knew them. God blessed them. They were in the educational system here in our city. And because they taught high school, they were very, very blessed financially. They always gave their very best. What was amazing to me, I didn't realize, is that God opened up opportunities for them to have two or three homes here in the Lake Forest and Mission Viejo area. And instead of just getting as much as they possibly could out of renting those, they picked out certain families and they offered a lower rent on every single one of their properties. And now they have this incredible home out of state that's just beautiful. And I I look at their life and I'm saying, here's Here's somebody who put God first and God took care of them. Not only did he take care of them, but he blessed them. Is it always easy? No. Will there be opposition? Yes. Say, well, that's Old Testament stuff, Mike. Matthew 23, 23 says this. Woe to you, as he's talking to the teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, people that would say one thing and do another, highly religious looked down on everybody else, stuck their bony finger in the chest of everybody and said, you should repent, but never looking at their own hearts. Jesus was harsh with these people. Did he love them? Yes, but he was wanting to be straight with them because he wanted them to know, don't be thinking because you have all the Torah memorized. Don't be thinking because you wear the flowing robes and you know all the protocol in the, to- in, in, in the temple and the synagogue. Don't be thinking you're gonna be going to heaven first. You gotta repent. You gotta change your heart. There's one thing we need once again in the church. It's repentance. Repentance is a good thing because we get freed up 
from the things that we've done wrong against God. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest of income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is saying is, it's a starting point for us. It's not, you have to, we get to. I don't want you to do anything because you have to. I want you to do this because you love God. And God, I can't wait to see the floodgates of heaven that you're gonna open up in my life. I'm so, I'm so God, on my spiritual tiptoes, God, because I wanna see, God, what you're gonna do. You're gonna open up the floodgates of heaven with all kinds of blessings. What do they look like? Sometimes they are monetary. Sometimes they are internal. Sometimes they are in relationships. God has a wonderful way of blessing us. Don't rob me, Mike, because I want to bless your life. I want to give you good things. I want you to prosper, not just financially. I want you to prosper here in the heart. So second is our offerings. This is outside the storehouse. So I bring my tithe here to the Lord I trust him. And we just always encourage online giving because it's easy. It's just clean. It's neat. Our, our leadership team, we all do this, not because we have to, because we want to. Secondly, is there's offerings in the Bible. These are moments that are just prompted by God. These are moments they say, I see a need. I'm going to fill that need. I'm not going to take part out of my tithe. I'm just going to give. My son was, um, they were buying some stuff for the junior high ministry. This is years ago. I think it was for a camp. And uh, they were at Ralph's grocery store and they had all these rice krispie treats, chips, salsa, all the good stuff, right? Sodas, everything for junior high, preparing for that. And there was a guy standing behind them as they obviously had a lot of food stacked they were stocking up for uh, our youth ministry department. And the guy says, what are you guys doing? That's a lot of food. Rang up to like over $300. He says, what is this? What are you guys doing? Oh, we're just, we serve at the church and this is for our junior high students. And so we're just, we're just stocking up food so students can come and all that stuff. He says, let me pay for that. Guy just did it out of his heart. That's called an offering. That's called when you walk into a, restaurant establishment for those that are still doing that because it costs so much to go out to eat when we do that and the waitress you can see there's something going on or the waiter and you slip them a 50 dollars bill that's an offering to god helping somebody in need then the third one is the extravagant again i'm i want us to be good i want us to be understanding about what the bible teaches this is not to get more from you please Please don't, I don't want you to think about that at all. I want you to know that this is what God says and this is what we're gonna do. Number three is the extravagant giving. That's what Mary did. She gave a whole year's wages without even, I believe, thinking about it. Remember the the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, 2 Kings, I love this guy because it says Elijah was a man just like us. He was on the mountaintop of Mount Carmel brought down fire from heaven. He prayed and God came down and did away with all those prophets. He saw a real move of God. I mean, amazing. We don't have time to go through it. And then the very next day, there was one woman, Jezebel, who said, you have killed all the prophets. I will kill you. And it was Elijah who saw the work of God. And the next day he ran away from Jezebel, fearing for his life. That's Elijah, just like us, sometimes fickle. As he's on a mission from God, He stops at a widow's home and asks for some food. Here's extravagant offering. She didn't have much. She was a widow. She had a son. And she gave everything that she had for Elijah. Unfortunately, her son had passed away. But Elijah was there to raise him from the dead. 
I guess what I'm saying is this, is that when we give extravagantly and we don't think about it and got to work this out and make sure it works before I do it, we just spontaneously do it because we really feel like God is doing it. She got blessed. The widow got blessed because her son returned to life again. She gave all she had. Do you remember when Jesus was watching everybody in the New Testament, in this scene, he's watching everybody come to the temple and give. Many of the religious people were pouring their coins literally into this receptacle. They could hear all the coins dropping. I mentioned before, there was a poor widow that came and gave two mites, two cents, two pennies. And she dropped them in. That was all she had. That's extravagant giving. It wasn't the amount. It's not about the amount. It's deep down in here. So what do we do with all this? What can we do? Number one on the action point is I want us to have a conversation with God about what generosity with obedience really looks like. I really want you to take some time to think about that. Discuss with your spouse or if you're single, just have a conversation with God. And as a couple, have a conversation with God. God, what do you want us to do? Because we don't want to hold anything back. We don't want to be under the curse of selfishness, God. We want to be under the blessing of generosity. Number two, Lord, what are you really asking of me? What are you asking of me, Lord? And then number three, I don't know how else to say this, so I just put it here. Step it up. Step up. Step up to the plate. Take a swing. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, gosh, why did I hold back? I should have, I should have offered more of my heart, God. I reserved. There was two. And I, I want us on that day to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Last, I just um, wanted to share something with you that really moved my perspective on what God is teaching us here. 10% giving, it's all yours, God. And you let me keep 90%. Wow. Second is offerings. And third is extravagant offerings. Let's say for a moment that I was going to leave town and um, I picked out three of my closest friends to take care of my wife. Door number one is Bob, door number two is Bill, and door number three is Sam. And I gave each of them $10,000 every month. All I'm asking, I'm giving you the 10 grand. All I'm asking is that you just give $1,000, send $1,000 please to my wife. And so um, after a couple of months, I call my wife. I'll be back in a few more months. I'm on a long ministry tour, let's just say. And I call her and say, so tell me, how's it going with the offerings? How's it going with the guys? She says, oh, Bill, man, every first of the month, I get the $1,000, no problem. Well, that's great. It's awesome. Tell me about Bob. Was Bob number two? They get him switched around? I don't remember. Bob's number two. Oh, man, Bob, he sends $2,000 every month. So tell me about Sam. Uh, we got to talk about Sam. The first month he sent 700 and the second month he sent four and then I haven't received everything, anything in the third. Now, you with me in this moment? This is all hypothetical. This is a true story. How would I feel? Sad, brokenhearted. So much potential that could have been there. Bible teaches us we are the bride of Christ. That's a wonderful thing. 
And so what God is saying, I believe, to us is, I have given you so much. And this is what I want you to do. Why? Because it puts your life in a perspective of not being selfish, but being so generous. And what it also does is allows me to bless your life in so many ways. We are called to take care of the bride of Christ. You, me, family, together, God takes care of us through one another. When I got married to my wife, Laura, 38 years ago, it was in that fellowship room right over there across the way. And I remember the day I got married to her, the wedding, you know, comes to bridesmaids come down the aisle and the maid of honor and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Hurry up. Just get to the front. Cause I want to see the bride. I want to see my wife to be one day. We are going to stand before God. The doors are going to open. Trumpets are going to sound and we are going to walk down the aisle. And Jesus is waiting for us forever and ever for eternity to take us with him in arm and arm forever and ever. Let's take care of the bride. Well, amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.